Here we go, episode two of the Backseat Coach Podcast, and I'm just going to tell you right now, you have to buckle up for this episode, because if you thought last episode where we talked about all 32 teams in the NFL and predicting their record was intense and talking about the entire NFL playoff picture of all 32 teams, yeah, well today we're going to be previewing all the Power 5 conferences, including a full power ranking of the teams from worst to best in each conference, record predictions for every team, and conference title previews. So this is going to be an absolutely packed show, so we got to get right into it. First off, I just want to mention the sponsors, Thrive Fantasy, Run Your Pool, and Chalkboard. Links to those are in the description or on the sidebar if you're on YouTube. We'll talk about those more later in the show. But yeah, we're going to jump into this because we've got five conferences of 10 to 14 teams in each conference that we got to get through, talk about their records. And I'm going to try to give a couple bullet points on each team. But I'm just going to say right now, there's a lot of teams to go through. I'm probably going to rush through them all. The important thing here is my ranking of the teams from worst to best so we can kind of track throughout the season how well my predictions held up as well as my record predictions. But I'm not going to go super in-depth into every team, but I do have a couple notes here for each team. So I'll be able to talk to each team with a couple bullet points or two, but just going to go in alphabetical order. So ACC, then Big Ten, then Big 12, Pac-12, then SEC. If by the time I get to the SEC, I'm just drained at that point. I just want to fire through them. Apologies. But I will say SEC, I think, is the most cut and dry of the five conferences. So... It's probably good to say that one for last, but let's just jump into it here and start with the ACC, but I first do want to mention this. So if you're on YouTube, you can check the description. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can go to the information about this podcast episode, and I have timestamps available, so you can skip ahead to any conference. So if you just want to see your conference, the Big Ten, SEC, whatever, look in the description on any platform you're on right now. It'll tell you the timestamps when I'm talking about every conference, so you can just jump ahead, listen to whatever, if you want to come back and listen to them, what have you. But anyways, I want to make it easier for you guys to jump to content, not sit through the whole thing if you don't want to. Just check out the timestamps, it'll make it easier for you to find what you're looking for. But there we go. Let's get into the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference. There are 14 teams here, and we're going to go through it from number 14 to number 1, ranking them from worst to best for what I think in the 2022 season. Right at the bottom, the two teams at the bottom, I think, are very interchangeable. These are both just going to be absolute stinkers, two of the worst teams in all the Power 5 conferences, and there's plenty of group of five teams that would give these teams a, a proper spanking. But last place for me is going to be Georgia Tech. I think going 2-10 and 10 this season. I don't see the Yellow Jackets being real competitive. They have really no offensive consistency, no difference makers on either side of the ball or elite playmakers on either side of the ball. This is really for Georgia Tech. It's just going to be a year of rotating through the lineups, trying to find something that sticks, try to find a winning formula, get different guys in different roles, and just experiment. Go out there and have fun. You're not going to be pushing for even a bowl game. So just go out there and try and figure out if you can get towards a winning formula here. And then Duke is the other team. It's just at the bottom of the conference. We're not going to spend much time about the teams that aren't at the top. But Duke had an abysmal offense last season. They averaged 14.9 points in ACC play last season, which is it's just shocking to even mention that out loud. That's just such a bad average offensive scoring in conference play. They have a new coaching staff, which seems to be a good fit to turn the program around with Mike Elko coming over from Texas A&M to lead the Blue Devils. Um, but, I mean, hey, they averaged 14.9 points in ACC on offense and allowed 46.6 points per game in the ACC on defense. Mike Elko, I don't care if you're the president of the United States, the chancellor of the universe, or Thanos himself, that's just insane stats you're coming into. No one's going to be expecting you to succeed year one. Duke is going to be quite abysmal, but hopefully they're on the right track to get back to being a competitive team in the ACC. But next up, we have Syracuse. Now, I think they're, well, I have Syracuse going 3-9, and nine, and I mentioned Duke and Georgia Tech have a 2-10. and 10. I think even though there's only one win separating those, I think the skill gap between the teams and the talent gap and how good of a program they are, I think is massive between Duke and Georgia Tech and Syracuse. 
Um, Dino Babbers has to be on the hot seat here. He's he's won two or less ACC games in five of his last six seasons. Also, I'm going to take a quick pause. Pronouncing names is not my strong suit, even if I've heard the names over and over. So some of these names, professional athletes, just get a little wild. Dino Babbers, that's not how you pronounce your name? Sorry. But he's won two or less ACC games in five of his last six seasons. So, I mean, this has got to be a year where the the top brass of Syracuse is going to be really looking for at least something to show that he can get the team on track. Sean Tucker for, for Syracuse Orange is a great running back, and their defense is really good against the pass, surprisingly. But mostly this season, Syracuse is just going to be a struggle. They're not going to be abysmal like Duke and Georgia Tech, but they're definitely not going to be pushing for a bowl game. Now things get a little interesting here. I think the rest of the ACC, while they're not all going to be good, I think the teams that I think are going to be doing quote-unquote bad this season are could be considered hot takes. So suffice to say, we've got the bottom three out of the way. The rest are at least, there's a conversation to be had about every team that's left. But the surprising team for me in 11th place is Virginia Tech. I've been going five and seven. Now, new coach Brent Pry, he's going to have a lot of building to do with the Hokies. They really just lack depth. That's going to be their biggest problem. Any sort of injury trouble is going to completely blow up their season. They lack playmakers on defense. They have no confidence in who their quarterback's going to be. No elite wide receivers to help out whoever their quarterback's going to be. They're returning some starters on the offensive line, and that's really the only thing to be excited about Virginia Tech. But ultimately, I just think the lack of depth is going to be a real problem. And with a new coach coming in, he's going to really want to try to figure out what the winning formula is going to be. He's going to try out people at different positions. He's going to try different people in the in the depth chart. But when you have such a thin team, it's going to be hard to do that. So I think Brent Pry is going to have tough sledding. Five and seven is what I see for the Hokies. Next up, we have Boston College, Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Now, last season was derailed by Phil Jerkovic's injury. Um, they were actually doing really strong before I got injured, and it just kind of derailed their whole season from there. I remember them posting on TikTok saying, like, hey, you want to bandwagon Boston College? Like, they were super hyped in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, about their team. But they ended up going about 500 in this season. I think that's exactly where they're going to be ending once again. I have them going 6-6. Six and six. They're returning seven starters on both offense and defense, which – could be a positive, you know, they're going to be more experienced or getting players that are going to have experience on the, on both sides of the ball. But their defense just ultimately fails to generate any pressure on opposing quarterbacks or really is not even that effective at stopping the run statistically. And their offense is on or off. And I think if Phil Jerkvec stays healthy, their offense could be firing on all cylinders and be a lot more competitive this season. But their defense isn't getting me excited. I think 500 is about where the Golden Eagles are going to end up um, or Boston College Eagles are going to end up. In ninth place, I have Louisville going six and six, and this is the this is gonna be a common theme you're gonna hear throughout. Just because I did all my research today on all the teams, is that you're gonna hear a lot of make or break years for coaches, and you're gonna hear a lot of first year coaches. Like I feel like in terms of college football landscape across the Power Five, this is a crazy year for coaches. There's so many coaching changes, and at the same time, there's so many coaches on the last straw. Like this is just a year where coaching across the country is gonna be under a fine tuned microscope, and that's exactly what's going to happen for scott satterfield here for the louisville cardinals and one thing i think about their fan base is while i love malik cunningham and i think he's a great talent at quarterback it seems like people are holding him to lamar jackson standards which is insanely high like that's that's almost ludicrous to give anyone lamar jackson standards at louisville um maybe you could say um teddy bridgewater standards would be a little more realistic for malik cunningham although i think he's a little more versatile in the pocket and outside of the pocket than bridgewater was but still, I don't, I don't see why people are comparing him to Lamar Jackson. I, I don't see him being that elite of a quarterback. But I do think he's a great cha- great talent, and he will definitely win them some games that otherwise I think they would lose. I have them going 6-6, six and six, but if you go on my TikTok or you want to just comment down below, and I'll tell you what my full record prediction for any team you want to talk about is. 
But I have Louisville winning some games that I don't think they're supposed to win. Like they're going to go in as underdogs and win some games. But I think they're also going to lose some games that they go in favor for. I think that's going to be like cookie crumbles for the Louisville Cardinals. They have a handful of transfers on offensive defense. But ultimately, I think it's Scott Satterfield and Malik Cunningham that are going to make or break this team this season. Okay. In eighth place, I have Florida State going 6-6. Six and six. And uh, they're continuing to show progress in rebuilding their team under Mike Norvell. Over the past couple of years, it's been really interesting for the Seminoles. Is they've been losing a lot of people to the transfer portal. They've been losing a lot of recruits that are expected to go to Florida State. Their entire recruiting process. And then when it comes to decision day, they end up changing and going somewhere else, even in-state like Florida or Miami. Um, Jordan Travis at Florida State this season is going to be expecting a huge season at QB. They have a decent amount of returning starters on offense. Um, they have some intriguing transfers coming in, which, like I said, those past few years, they've been losing transfers out and being kind of being dominated in the transfer portal. And finally, this year is starting to pay dividends and return back to them. But I still don't see it all coming together this one season. I think they're going to be on the right track. And I think Mike Norvell is going to continue pushing them back to being an elite ACC team like they were under, you know, James Winston when they were contending for national championships. But it's not going to be this season. I've been going six and six. And we're halfway through the ACC. And we're making good time, but next up we have Virginia, which I think is a little bit of a hot take because I think a lot of people are lower on Virginia than I am this season. And again, there's so many teams that said they're six and six, five and seven. So the difference between Virginia being the seventh ranked team and like a twelfth ranked team in ACC is like two wins. But I just love their offense. I, I really think new head coach Tony Elliott is in a real great position because he's inheriting an electric passing game, and he has one of the top quarterbacks in the ACC in Brennan Armstrong. And their receiving core is deep, and it's full of playmakers. Like, I think their receivers are all very talented, but they're also very deep. So injuries are playing multiple wide receivers in the game. I just think their, their passing game for the Virginia Cavaliers is very, very intriguing. However, they have lost their entire offensive line, which is not going to help, obviously, give the Brennan Armstrong more time in the pocket. But I think he's a good enough playmaker, and the receivers are strong enough to be able to make up for a, a young offensive line. But their defense is very weak, like very, very weak. So they're going to really have to rely on outscoring people. And I'm just having faith in Tony Elliott being able to get that offense firing on all cylinders like they have in the past couple of years. And I have faith in Brennan Armstrong, these receivers, to put together a good good schedule this season or good record this season, go 7-5. Now we're into the top six, and all these teams I think are – like I think there's a there, there's a another leap. There's a leap that we were going from between Duke to Syracuse. Now I think we're taking another leap from Virginia at seven to North Carolina at six. Now I have North Carolina going eight and four, and Mac Brown has just really turned around this program. He's been a great coach for North Carolina. Um, their biggest issues this season are going to be their offensive line um, and their defense overall as well. Uh, the defense allowed forty two percent conversion on third down last season, which is just a killer. When your defense is tired, sucking wind, trying to get off the field, and they finally push it to a third down, and you allow forty two percent of the time, almost a flip of the coin that the offense is going to convert. That's just a killer for a team that's going to fatigue your defense early, and then it's just downhill from there. But North Carolina does um, benefit from a lighter schedule this season. They have no Clemson on their on their schedule this season, so I think that could help for a stronger record. And ultimately, ultimately, I think Mac Brown is just one of the better coaches in, in, in the ACC. So I think North Carolina will be good for an 8-4 season. And then there's a kind of a mini gap here between North Carolina and the rest of the five. These next five, I think, are all contenders for the ACC title um, but from a varying degree. But all five that I'm going to mention now, I think, are contenders for the ACC championship. Whereas every team I've mentioned before this, I really wouldn't count as a, a contender this season. But number five is Wake Forest, and they're one of the biggest wild cards for me in the entire country because Sam Hartman right now is – I had him as a Heisman hopeful coming into the season. Wake Forest had an electric offense last season that could put up points with the best of them. They could score 
50 plus games at the drop of 50 plus points at the drop of the hat. But that was mostly due to the arm of Sam Hartman. And I had Heisman hopes for him this season, but he's out indefinitely with a non-football related medical condition. And when I was doing my research today, I still haven't found any updates since August 10th when that story was first broke. So I don't really know what's going on there. Hoping we can figure out something. I'm hoping he's okay. Um, hoping it's nothing like a serious medical condition or anything like that. But it's a non-football related medical condition that they haven't really disclosed. I've seen rumors, and that's all you can really call them at this point. They're saying, you know, like, Hartman could be back in the first half of the season. He might only miss a couple weeks. But I just don't know. We just don't know enough about Sam Hartman. And he is the lifeblood of that team. They are an offensive team. They are an electric offensive team. And he's the quarterback. So what else can be more pivotal than the quarterback of a truly, purely offensive team? If he's healthy and their offense comes back and performs like they were last season, then they could outscore any team in the entire country. I mean, the, they can put up the points of the best of them. But without Sam Hartman, it's just too much of a question mark. So that's why I had Wake Forest before this injury broke uh, around third in my ACC rankings. But because of the injury, I pushed them down to five. Um, but I had them going 10 and 2 this season. Again, don't take too much stock in that. It's just there's so many question marks right now with Sam Hartman. We just simply don't know. Number four, I have Miami at nine and three. Um, Mario Cristobal is coming over from Oregon. He's returning quote unquote home to the Miami Hurricanes. And I think that's going to be great for the program. I think they needed to get it. They needed to put the Benny Diaz uh, pass in the pass. Um, Tyler Van Dyke has Heisman hopes this season. He's one of the Heisman quote unquote favorites. Like he's not one of the elite favorites, but he's definitely like has strong odds of winning the Heisman this season. Um, and the analytics love Miami this season. In terms of the football power index by ESPN, they are rated in the top 10. Um, Miami is borderline starting to be that Texas-type team, that kind of USC-type team where they're starting to get hype every single season, saying like, oh, they're back, this is their season, this is when they're going to produce and perform, they're back to national relevancy, they're going to push for a college ball playoff. We just haven't really seen it from Miami. I don't say they're as egregious as Texas, but they're definitely getting there, and if they have a lackluster season this year, then we definitely can start worrying. Although with Mario Cristobal in his first season, maybe you can give him a little bit of slack. But they're in the top 10 for the football power index. Miami has all the hype in the world this season. I think they go 9-3 and three and perform strongly. I just don't think it's going to all happen for them in one in one year. Number three of the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Now, Devin Leary is back, who's a very overlooked quarterback in the national landscape of things. People don't really talk about him like the true talent he is like he definitely could be a dark horse Heisman contender this season they have a veteran offensive line I do think Clemson is easily the most talented team in the ACC but I think North Carolina State is the most well-rounded team in the in the ACC they really have no weaknesses they're efficient on offense efficient on defense they're well coached I trust them through every aspect of of the football field but the problem with NC State is I just think they don't have that difference maker other than Devin Leary but they don't have those elite recruited talents those transferred in talents like Clemson's able to produce where while I think North Carolina State's super well-rounded I just don't know if their firepower is there to be able to compete with Clemson and they're in the same division as Clemson so obviously they have to compete with Clemson if they want to make the ACC title game I don't see it happening that's why I have them at my third ranked they'll be second in in that division of the ACC but 10 and 2 for North Carolina State, they have a great season. They're often around number 25 when the season's said and done, but this season I think will be improved. I think it'll be around 15 or so when the season's all said and done. But number two, I have Pittsburgh. Uh, we have Keaton Slovis coming in from USC. Um, Jordan Addison is out, um, switching plays with Keaton Slovis, just a one for one trade. Jordan Addison has left. He was one of the best wide receivers in the entire country last season in terms of people that are returning to college football this year. Last season, Pittsburgh was number eight on offense. And that was behind the hands of Kenny Pickett, who is now obviously in the Pittsburgh Steelers as opposed to the Pittsburgh Panthers. 
But I think Keaton Slovis, in terms of talent, in terms of skills, in terms of what he's going to provide to that Pittsburgh offense, I don't think it's going to be too much of a downgrade, if any, from Kenny Pickett. I think it's going to be rinse and repeat a lot of the same production from the quarterback position. I think the biggest thing they're going to be missing, though, is Jordan Addison at that wide receiver position. I think he is one of the most talented receivers in the country, and it hurts that they lost him. But they are returning all five of their offensive linemen, so I think they're going to give new quarterback Keaton Slovis plenty of time back there. They have new receivers coming in. They have transfers coming in from Notre Dame and some other good recruits, so they're going to have good wide receiver weapons, but none that are as proven as Jordan Addison. I still expect them to be near top 10 offense this season. I'm expecting big things out of Pittsburgh once again, just because they lost pick in Addison doesn't mean the Pittsburgh train is stopping. Uh, I see them going 10-2, and two, and I see them competing against Clemson in the ACC title game. And Pittsburgh and Miami actually play in the last game of the season, regular season, and that game is ultimately going to determine, in my opinion, who is going to the ACC title game against Clemson. But no surprise here, Clemson I have as my number one team in the ACC. DJ Ugolele is a question mark because he is such an incredible talent. He has a, the potential and the, the skill set to be an elite quarterback in the country. But he just turns the ball over at a crazy rate. Um, but Clemson is just so deep at their skill positions, and their defensive line is always tremendous. Um, but as I mentioned, last season they were last place in, uh, in passing efficiency in the ACC, which is largely because DJ Ugalele just turns the ball over too much, and he takes too many risks with the ball. So he has a lot to clean up there at the quarterback position. But if he can tighten those screws up a bit and Dabo Sweeney and that, and that staff can get to him, he, he has all the skill set in the world to be just as great as the Trevor Lawrence's and the Sean Watson's of the world, but he has a lot of mental improvement in his game to do before he can get to those ranks. But with all that said, with all the turnovers, with the lack of offensive efficiency, they were still 10-3 and uh, ten and three when all was said and done. And if that's what they can do at the last place of offensive efficiency, then any improvement to DJ Ugalele's game and any cleanup he can do is just going to make them even stronger. So they had one of their worst offensive seasons last year and went 10-3. and three. I just think it's, it's definitely in the cards that are going to do even better this year. I've been going 10-2. and two. I've been winning the ACC overall. So that leads us right into our ACC, our ACC roundup here. Conference title game, like I said, I have Pittsburgh versus Clemson. and I have Clemson winning that game. Um, I'm going to talk in Thursday's episode of the podcast, which I'll mention again towards the end. I'll, I'll go over my college football playoff and who I think is going to be in that. So stay tuned for that to see if I have Clemson in my college football playoff. Um, dark horses I see in the ACC I because I have Clemson and Pitt in the championship game. I think Wake Forest is an unknown horse like i mentioned i just love their offense it just all depends on sam hartman um nc state has has a chance that they can upset clemson and that changes the entire landscape of the acc um they are the most complete team so i can see them just playing a real well-rounded game of football against clemson and if they can force dj gulele into those turnovers then wolfpack can pull off a crazy upset and then i think miami could turn heads i have a lot of faith in mario cristobal and I have a lot of faith in Tyler Van Dyke, and I think if they can live up to the hype, then they could definitely turn heads nationally and with an ACC, and they could beat Pittsburgh in that final game and push for an ACC title game. So I give it to Pittsburgh and Clemson as my top two teams, and Wake Forest, NC State, and Miami are my three dark horses for the ACC. And look at that. We're, what, just under 20 minutes in the podcast. We got a whole conference buttoned up there, and that was, that was pretty good time. So we'll, we'll see if we can keep this pace up. We're going to try to ratchet, ratchet the pace up just a little bit. But first, we're going to hear from Thrive Fantasy. So Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports platform that offers all the daily fantasy contests that you know and love, plus some awesome contests that you won't find anywhere else on any sports betting app, any fantasy lineup apps. With Thrive Fantasy, you build your lineup by choosing 10 out of 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each player prop is going to be assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to going to be to occur. And if your lineup of 10 out of 20 player props scores the most points in the pool that you're in, you're the winner. 
So contents can either be head to head with someone, they can be in a pool, like I just mentioned. And speaking of pools, Thrive Fantasy has a week one NFL featured contest that has $250,000 of guaranteed prize money. That's a quarter of a million dollars with $50,000 going to first place. To join Thrive Fantasy and receive a 100% deposit match up to $100, either join with my link in the description of this podcast or download the app from the App Store and use promo code BACO, that's B-A-C-O, for a 100% deposit match up to $100. Again, that's BACO, B-A-C-O, to join and enter that NFL Week 1 contest. Go download Thrive Fantasy today. Now we're going to jump into Big Ten, which is my favorite conference in all of college football. Um, you can see Saquon Barkley. You can see some Wisconsin on the on the screen behind me in my backdrop. But, I mean, I, I went to Wisconsin for undergrad, so no surprise there. I grew up in Minnesota where the Minnesota Gophers are the most popular team. So pretty much ever since I followed college football, Big Ten was my primary conference I followed. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting season of the Big Ten this year. It's one of the last years we'll get to see the Big Ten in its current state before the expansion hits uh, with USC and UCLA coming in and who knows who else. But ultimately, I think a lot of what we're normally accustomed to seeing on the Big Ten will end up repeating itself this year. But the path to getting there, I think, will be very exciting. And there are definitely some dark horses in the Big Ten. So let's go from worst to best. Worst, I have Illinois at 3-9. and nine. Now, Illinois broke my heart a couple years ago. I just finished running a half marathon, which you wouldn't guess by looking at me right now. I was a lot more fit back then. And my phone was broken. Like, I don't know if, like, there was sweat logged in it or what happened during it. But my phone broke, and that was the day Wisconsin played Illinois. So I was at home watching TV, and I was like, you know what? Wisconsin's playing Illinois. It's halftime. I'm just going to go to the store, Verizon store. Like, Wisconsin's going to beat Illinois. They're terrible. Wisconsin's elite. Go to the Verizon store. My phone's broken. I can't check anything. Um, get my new phone. Go home and realize Wisconsin lost to Illinois. And that was one of the most embarrassing and sad days of my life as Wisconsin Badgers fans. So that was a fun aside, talking about the Illinois Illini. Promise I don't hold any bad blood. I just truly think you're on the 14th ranked team this season. Their offense is lethargic, but new coordinator, new offensive coordinator Barry Lundy is going to look to improve that. He found great success coaching UTSA. They had a super fun run last season. If you didn't pay attention to UTSA last year, they were an electric team to watch. And their defense has been improving each year over the past couple of years. They have six returning starters to uh, to come back to that defense this season that look to continue improving that defense. But overall, I just don't see offensively them being able to compete with the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, I don't know. I just don't see it for the Lion-Eye this year. I don't see them being very competitive. I see them going 3-9. and nine. But it's it's kind of splitting hairs between them and the other couple teams I'm about to mention in terms of who's the worst team. But I'm just going to put Illinois in my last place slot at 14th out of the Big Ten at 3-9. and nine. Number 13 is Indiana at 3-9. and nine. I mean, it was a weird year in that COVID year. Michael Penix Jr. led them to an unreal season. But hey, Northwestern also had an unreal season that year too. So it was just an odd year for everyone in college football. But they have new coordinators on both sides of the ball this season. Um, Mizzou transfer Connor Bazelak at quarterback. And ultimately, their defense is just their defense is one of the worst in the conference. They were just abysmal to look at last year. I don't see much improvement happening this year. With all the transfers in and out of Indiana and all the coaching staff changes this season, I just think it's going to be a big year of rebuilding for Indiana. Hopefully try to recapture some of that magic they were able to capture a couple years ago. But there's just so much change going on in the Hoosier program right now. I just think it's a year to kind of sit back, experiment, and rebuild. 12th place in the Big Ten, I have Northwestern at 4-8. and eight. Now, Evan Hall is the strength of their offense, and that is my absolute like pleasure to say because I went to Maple Grove in high school, and he was a running back at my high school. It was, he was after my time. I, he started maybe a year or two after I left uh, high school, but 
was fun watching him in high school. He he made me keep living my high school glory days by streaming high school football games while I was in college just to watch check up on my old high school because he was just so electric in the running back position. Made his way into being the starter at Northwestern, and now he happens to be the strength of our offense. So looking forward to watching Evan Hall this season, especially that week one when he's going to be in Ireland against Nebraska. But I'm going to try to get Evan Hall on the podcast, so that would be a great, great interview. Um, but the Bradson game is potentially the worst in the conference. They have that strong running game with Evan Hall and also supporting cast, but their passing game is absolutely abysmal. Worst in the conference. And their defense took a major step backward last year. They're normally a very disciplined and strong defense at the least. Like I'm just used to seeing low scoring games in Evanston, Illinois. It's cold winter. I it's like a 17 to 14 upset of Wisconsin or something like that is what I like to see. I hate when Wisconsin goes to Northwestern because I just feel like Northwestern always beats them there. But I just feel like their defense is used to holding teams to low scores, but that just, just took a major step backwards last year. So I see 4-8 and eight happening this season for Northwestern. Um, also at 4-8, and eight, I have Rutgers. Um, Greg, Schiano's in a success, uh, Greg Schiano's success in his return to Rutgers, return to New Jersey. It hasn't been immediate, but I'm personally a fan of Schiano. I think slowly but surely they are building something in New Jersey. There's going to be a lot of new faces on that defense, which last season managed to hold teams to relatively low scores in the Big Ten. Uh, but they do get run on pretty good. They're they're pretty bad at stopping the run. Their their front seven is able to put some pressure on the quarterback, but not not going to stop in the run game. I'm a, I'm a believer in Shiano. I'm hoping he can continue building that program there. I hope they give him the chance. Uh, I mean, they love him in Rutgers. They love him in New Jersey. I think he'll get a few years there before they're going to put him on the hot seat. But I still think they're going to go four and eight. But they are managing to start step up their recruiting game. So I do expect to see Rutgers start to be more competitive in the few years. Like I see what my, Maryland's doing right now. Now, as I mentioned, ACC, we're going to take a little jump here. Rutgers, Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois kind of put them in a little bin, and they're kind of at the back end of the Big Ten. But we're going to take a little hop now. Hop forward in the Big Ten to Nebraska at 5-7. and seven. One win separates that from Rutgers, but skill-wise, talent-wise, I think is going to be a big leap. But this has to be the absolute make-or-break year for Scott Frost in Nebraska. As he's truly just been horrible since coming to Lincoln from Orlando, Florida at UCF. He has a record of 15 and 29 with the Nebraska Cornhuskers and no bowl games. Yes, you can say last season that they their defense fought tooth and nail every game and was able to manage to get to the very end of a close game, and then they always would lose by one score, which is true. Like Nebraska genuinely rarely gets blown out. But that even begs a bigger question about Scott Frost. Like if their team's being competitive in every game and just managing to lose at the end, is that saying something about the, the game management? Is that something saying something about the coaching? I don't know. I think this is the make or break year. But at quarterback, Casey Thompson is likely going to be their starter. I loved him at Texas. It was last year because I followed Texas a lot, hence B. John Robinson, I'm a wall back there. But Texas last season had a quarterback battle between Hudson Card and Casey Thompson, and I followed that very closely. And I was wanting them to start with Casey Thompson from the beginning, but they went with Hudson Card. And I thought Casey Thompson was the better of the two. He's more dynamic, he's more versatile, and I think that's going to help Nebraska a lot. So I enjoyed watching him at Texas, and I really hope the best for him at Nebraska um, under new offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. But Love Casey Thompson. Hope he has a great year for Nebraska as the Armstrong era of 10 years is, is over. Um, but as I mentioned, their defense is actually quite good, and I expect them to continue to be good this season. Um, their offensive line is going to be an issue this season, and their offense just really needs to limit turning the ball over. So Casey Thompson, which he did struggle with the Texas, uh, especially towards the end of the season when they really seemed to sort of tank last year for Texas. But they, they just need to limit the turnovers um, because their defense is going to put them in positions to win. Their offense just can't screw it up. I think Casey Thompson is going to be a versatile enough quarterback to get them some more of those wins. I still have them going 5-7, and seven, but I think they're going to be on the right track. And I don't know if there's going to be Scott Frost last year. 
I personally think it should be, but I think their five and seven is going to, they're, I don't know how I want to say this. They're, they're going to be a better team than their five and seven record is going to show for it. What I'm trying to say, I guess, which you can say last season about the record as well, but I just think Nebraska is building stuff in the right direction. It's just not, not going to be all at once. And I know that program is so used to winning, so used to dominating the big 10, the big 12, whatever conference they've been in, but it's, and they just haven't had that since the nineties and they're just desperate looking for it. Like they were in the nineties, early two thousands. I mean, even when I was in college, Nebraska was still a top 25 team. So they're going to get back to it. I just don't see it this season. A team that's turning heads in the Big Ten that used to kind of be the laughingstock. It used to be Maryland and Rutgers were the laughingstocks of the Big Ten when they first joined the conference. But I have Maryland going 6-6 six and six this year. They're slowly but surely improving in terms of the Big Ten competitiveness and the games that they play within the conference as well as their recruiting. I think they're a year or two ahead of Rutgers where Rutgers are trying to get to. Um, their defense is definitely their biggest problem for Maryland. But offensively, their receiving corps is super strong. It's super deep and tough. Ooh, this is always a tongue twister. Taulia Tagovailoa. I know Tagovailoa. I can get that down, but Taulia um, is—he's undoubtedly very talented. Like you can say what you want about Tua Tagovailoa, but Taulia Tagovailoa is—he's very talented. He's fun to watch in Maryland, and he has a receiving corpse to back him up and make for some very fun, fun games through the air this season. Um, but the problem with Maryland is they are not good about against good teams. Like they can blow up bad teams, but they absolutely get blown out by teams with winning records. I think last season it was a combined two hundred eighty to one hundred was their score was their combined score against teams with winning records. So they're gonna have to start being competitive against the good teams because if you're just gonna keep showing up every year and beating the bad teams, that's it's not very impressive. But I think their passing attack could be one of the best in the Big Ten. It's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. But I still have them at six and six, and now. Maryland and Nebraska are in that other bin aside from Rutgers, Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois. Now set those two aside. They're just in a, in a two-some twin bin. We're going to a new bin now in terms of competitiveness in the Big Ten. And it's crazy to call this team the eighth best team in the Big Ten. That just shows how deep the Big Ten is in terms of their competitive teams. But I have the Purdue Boilermakers at eight and four, which is the eighth best team in the Big Ten, which is just wild. The Big Ten is just going to have such a fun year this year. Um, the Boilermakers recipe over the past few years seems to be to have just a strong year in the Big Ten, but not an elite year in the Big Ten. But that strong season always seems to be coupled with like one mind-blowing upset every year, whether it's like Ohio State or just going on the road and beating some team they're an underdog against. So that's been that's usually been their formula, but I think they're hoping to finally be like an elite contender for the Big Ten West this year. Their schedule is super favorable, which is really going to bode well for them in the Big Ten West. They have no Ohio State, no Michigan and no Michigan State, the holy trifecta they've managed to avoid on their schedule this season, which is just great for their crossover conference play. Aiden O'Connell is going to turn heads at quarterback. I mentioned on TikTok that if he wins the Heisman, I will delete my account. I still stand by that, even though I think he's a great talent, but I'm still going to put my account on the line for Aiden O'Connell. Um, he's definitely going to turn heads at quarterback. He's going to get nationally known. He's going to be a strong. He's going to have a strong season, much like Maryland. I think Purdue's passing attack is going to be very strong. But they need a stronger running game to support that. They can't put it all on O'Connell. I have faith in O'Connell and the receivers, but I don't think they're good enough to solely win Purdue enough games to win the Big Ten West, especially when you're going to be playing games in November and December against Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, these cold-weather, hard-nosed teams that are going to be playing, running the ball at the middle, beating up the defense, chewing up clock. You're going to need a running game, and Purdue just doesn't really have that right now. Their defensive play last season was really strong. But they look to continue that season of getting even better this season under their new coordinator of Ron English. But ultimately, Purdue Boilermakers just boils down to a great passing attack, 
suspect rushing attack and an improving defense. If they can develop their rushing attack, they can absolutely contend for the Big Ten West. Joining Purdue in that bin, in our third bin now, is Minnesota, who I have at the seventh-ranked team. I also have them at eight and four. Is P.J. Fleck all he's cracked up to be? That's what I ask myself. My friends are all Minnesota fans, and I'm born and raised in Minnesota, so I'm very familiar with the Minnesota Gophers program. P.J. Fleck was hired and touted as an elite recruiter, but Minnesota consistently ranks down at the bottom of the recruiting rankings for the conference. You can look at 2023 rankings and say Minnesota's near the top, but there's so many people that are yet to commit. And when you think about it, the best recruits are the people that are getting a multiple offers from like a Michigan, an Ohio State, and all these teams. And they're choosing between usually it's the very end because they want to accrue as much good offers as they can. So that's usually why you see the teams that are constantly being the best teams in the country might not have a great recruiting class until the last minute because that's when everyone's recruiting, signing at the last second because they're highly touted recruits. Whereas teams that are kind of that second tier kind of signing people early, trying to get people locked in early. Um, but Minnesota this season was last place in the Big Ten in terms of recruiting, which is just crazy because P.J. Fleck was supposed to be such a people's coach, a player's coach. Um, but Tanner Morgan is back yet again. I swear this is his eighth or ninth year in college football, it feels like. And almost all of their offensive production is joining him and returning to that offense. And their defense should once again be strong. Like Minnesota has all the pieces there. That's why I feel like I'm questioning if it's a P.J. Fleck problem or not. Because their defense is going to be strong once again. And as last year, they were just second to only Wisconsin in the Big Ten in terms of their defensive play. And I just find the Gophers to be a very head-scratching team on paper because they are, this season, they should have an incredibly experienced offense, a very strong defense, but somehow they manage to slip up. And the problem is that they don't slip up in games against, you know, Wisconsin. They don't slip up in games against Michigan. Like, they'll, they'll lose games like Michigan or Penn State, but they'll usually be close, whereas they lose games like Bowling Green or Illinois, these teams that are near the bottom, maybe not even cracking the top 100 in some cases of the 120 college football teams, you're ranking them from best to worst and they're losing these games. It's just very head scratching for the program. So we'll see if they can clean those up this year. I mean, they have one of the most ex experienced offenses in the entire nation. So it, I think it's getting close to being a maker break here for PJ. Like it's not this season, but I think it's, he's going to start getting warm. Joining Purdue and Minnesota in that third bin is going to be Michigan State. Now, I have them at the sixth-ranked team. I have them going 8-4, and four, and I think Mel Tucker has this – Spartans just firing at all cylinders. He's been such a great hire for the Michigan State program. But the big question is, can they replace Kenneth Walker III? They're bringing in two transfers this season to replace him, but I'm not confident in their abilities to do so perfectly. They're bringing in Jared Broussard from Colorado, who did solid for the Buffaloes, and I think he will do – I have more faith in him than I do Jalen Berger, I guess is what I'll say, who's the other transfer coming in from Wisconsin. He was uh, removed from the Wisconsin program, not really for his on-the-field play, more for his off-the-field antics. So that's something Michigan State's going to have to look out for. Peyton Thorne is going to need to step up because whether Jalen Berger and Jerry Broussard pan out or not, they're still not going to be Kenneth Walker the third, even if they live up to their expectations and and then some. Um, so Peyton Thorne is going to have to step up. The passing game is going to have to be more involved. Uh, the defense should be improved, but they will have road games to Michigan, to Ann Arbor, and to Penn State, which are they're just going to be really tough road games to overcome for Michigan State, which is why I see them going 8-4, and four, because I think those are both going to be losses on the road, and then they have Ohio State, obviously, on their resume as well. They have tough games in Minnesota. I see Michigan State going 8-4. and four. I still am going to put them in the secondary bin with Minnesota and Purdue. And then joining them, uh, do we want a new bin? You know, let's just ditch the bin talk. Fifth place, I have Iowa at 9-3. and three. If you're like me and you watch the Big Ten religiously, then you watched the Big Ten last season and you would watch an Iowa game and you would not think that they were a team that would be in the Big Ten championship because just like looking at them with the eye test, 
they never looked impressive whatsoever. They had a horrid offense. But this is kudos to Coach Kirk Ferentz because he coached them well enough to be competitive in enough games. Their defense was strong enough to find themselves competitive enough to make the Big Ten title game, which is crazy because every game I watched of Iowa, they just looked abysmal. Wisconsin absolutely kicked their teeth in. But they managed to beat Minnesota. And, yeah, they, they fumbled their way to a Big Ten title quite literally. And uh, we all know what happens. They got the Big Ten championship against Michigan. We don't we don't need to bring that up for any Hawkeye fans out there. But going into this season, Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla is a very contentious QB battle. There's a lot of fans that will very strongly fight for one side or the other. Um, Kirk Ferentz seems to always get Iowa to be a very strong team, but it doesn't seem like he's able to push them over the edge for a Big Ten championship, which isn't saying much because, I mean, when you're facing Ohio State, like, can you really knock someone for not winning those games? But the, the QB battle should be very interesting, and I think between Petrus and Padilla, this is a QB battle that's not going to be settled week one. I think this is going to be a QB battle that's going to go into the season. They're, they could likely make a change in the middle of the season. I don't think it's going to be one that's ever going to be really solidified. But once again, the Hawkeye defense should be very strong. Um, they're very unlikely to repeat their incredible rate of 31 forced turnovers again this year, but I still think their defense is going to be amongst the best in the Big Ten. So it's really all going to come down to that quarterback play and how their offense is able to do if they want to be able to push for another Big Ten championship again this season. But in fourth place in the Big Ten, I have Michigan. They made the college world playoff last year. I haven't gone 10-2 this year. And it's just crazy to me how fast the public perception change of Jim Harbaugh went down. He was so hated like people wanted him out of michigan so bad like i vividly remember just a few a couple years ago people were calling him the worst things calling him so overrated saying that michigan is just like a joke it's it's just not a project that's working out for harbaugh and then last year happens and it's all changed like jim harbaugh is getting buzz of going to coach the minnesota vikings he's getting praised across the nation so really interesting to see how the perception has changed i'm a harbaugh guy i enjoy the guy but uh, watching the other people's opinions change on them has just been an interesting observation their defense was their strong suit last season. They lost Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, the NFL. They lost their defensive coordinator as well, and they lost just a majority of their defensive pressure and their corner coverage. So their defense has a lot of holes that needs to be filled. But their offense should be strong this year. They have J.J. McCarthy and Kate McNamara at quarterbacks that are going to be battling it out. They have Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards at running back that are going to be a very strong running back room. They have a very, very deep receiver room. So offensively, as long as they can get that offensive line cooking, they should be totally fine. But their defense has a lot of holes that needs to be filled. And we'll see if Jim Harbaugh is able to continue the success of last year and push forward this year. But in third place at 10-2, and two, which I might actually consider a true fourth place team, but I'm going to give them the edge of the tiebreaker over Michigan just because I've been winning the Big Ten West is Wisconsin. Yes, I'm a Wisconsin graduate. Yes, I'm a huge Wisconsin fan. Call me a homer. Call me biased. Call me whatever you want. But I'm expecting the same old, same old here from Wisconsin. Sure, Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, and Jake Ferguson leaving stinks for their passing game, but Graham Mertz is still there. Is that a pro? Is that a con? I don't know. You ask me. If you're asking me, I say that's a con. But Graham Mertz, um, he's like, is he going to develop? Like, I don't know. Is he going to finally do something impressive this year? I hope so, but we will see. But like I said, I think it's going to be mostly rinse and repeat this season, meaning Braylon Allen is going to be a lead at running back. Their offensive line is probably going to have three future NFL players on a minimum, and they're going to be bullying people in the trenches. And Braylon Allen is going to rush for an incredible season. Defensively, they're going to have some linebackers that are going to be pushing NFL buzz. They're going to have a defensive line that's solid and stout, but nothing to write home about. Their corner play is going to be enough to be dangerous, but not going to be really locking down your receivers. But Wisconsin is always known for their bread and butter of their linebacker play. Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, I think this is going to be his last year as a defensive coordinator for Wisconsin. I thought last year might have been his last year for the defensive coordinator slot, but he managed to come back. I think any team really would love him as a head coach. I think he's definitely become a head coach. 
Look what happened to the defense coordinators before him. His name's David Randa. Ever heard of him? He went to LSU, won a national championship, and now he's head coaching Baylor, who won the Big 12. So defense coordinators out of Wisconsin are just elite talents, and Jim Leonard's no different. It's probably going to be his last year, unfortunately. But they're going to have a strong defense. They're going to have an amazing rushing offense. Same old, same old Wisconsin. I have them going 10-2, and winning the Big 10 West. In second place, which is my biggest hot take on here, which, yes, I'm a current student there, and you can see Saquon Barkley in the background, but I have Penn State going 11-1 this year. And Sean Clifford's back, and he just needs to be more consistent. If Sean Clifford can be consistent, that's just the key that Penn State needs to finally get back that 2019 form, the days when they had McSorley and Barkley where they were just an electric team all around. And James Franklin's now inked his big deal. A lot of people, even in in, uh, Pennsylvania, wanted him out of there. I'm a James Franklin guy. I'm in the minority there. A lot of people hate him. But he inked his big deal. He's not going anywhere. He wasn't going to, like, there's rumors of him going to USC, but he's staying at Penn State. If they can, they need better pass protection ultimately, and if they can give Clifford more time, their passing game should be amongst the best of the conference. But it all comes down to that offensive line play, making sure they're consistent. Manny Diaz is now the defensive coordinator, and just a chuckle because everyone just really wanted Manny Diaz out of there in Miami real bad. But he's now the defensive coordinator for Penn State. He's going to need to rework that defense, and their defense is normally one of their strong suits. And he's just going to have to get in there and continue to replenish the holes that they're missing and get them back to competitive level once again. But I think Penn State's they have great running backs, they have great receivers. It's all going to come down to that that quarterback play. I'm expecting big things at Sean Clifford this season. That's why I'm so high on them. I have them in second place in the Big Ten East going 11-1. and But number one, at no surprise, Ohio State 12-0. Now just like, just sit back and listen to this. They're returning C.J. Stroud as a Heisman favorite, who is the Heisman favorite to win this year. They're returning Travion Henderson, one of the statistically best running backs in the nation. Returning Jackson Smith and Jigba, that's going to be joining fellow receivers Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave in the NFL as a top 10, top 15 pick real shortly. They're returning most of their offensive line. Oklahoma State, who had one of the best defenses in the entire country and easily the best defense they see, their defensive coordinator is coming over to be the defensive coordinator for Ohio State. There's nothing to be upset about here. There's everything for Ohio State is on the up and up once again. There's so much to be excited about in Columbus, Ohio. Their offense is maturing. Their defense should be improved over last season. Expect several Heisman contenders on this team in an undefeated season. We're just going to leave it at that. 12-0 for Ohio State. I've been beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship and likely going to college football playoff, but spoiler alert, wait for Thursday's episode of the podcast. My dark horse is the Big Ten. I really only have dark horses in the Big Ten West because I think Ohio State's clearly the Big Ten East winner, and I also think Penn State could be a dark horse to upset people in terms of I think they could easily disappoint from what my expectations are. But in the West, my two favorite dark horses, I was not one of them. I think it's Purdue and Minnesota. Purdue has the schedule to be able to get enough wins with a few enough losses in the Big Ten West to be the representative in the Big Ten Championship. And I think Minnesota just has all the pieces, like I said when I was talking about them. They have everything they need and everything they could ever want to be a competitive ball club. I just, I'm just suspicious about their coaching. I just feel their coaching is a little suspect. But they're my dark horses. I'm excited to watch them play this year. But that's where I have the Big Ten at, Ohio State beating Wisconsin. And if we're going alphabetical here, that means next up is the Big 12. And the thing I like about that is there's only 10 teams to go over here instead of 14 like the first two. But let's go through the Big 12 starting at the bottom with Kansas. Kansas is Kansas. I have them going 2-10 and 10 overall. They have the worst rushing defense in the entire conference. Their passing defense is nothing to write home about. So overall, their defense is just kind of abysmal. Jalen Daniels returns to QB, so at least I'll have some experience returning there. They do have a solid running back room, but just don't expect too much out of Kansas this season. Nothing's really going to change this year. They're going to go 2-10. and 10. They beat Texas last year, so that's a huge, huge W for the Jayhawks, but they're at the bottom of the Big 12. 
Then there's a huge step now between Kansas and the rest of the teams. So number nine, I have Texas Tech, which is just, again, such a massive gap in my mind from Kansas, Texas Tech. But this year, I think Lubbock is going to be in rebuild mode with Joey McGuire coaching in the FBS for the very first time. Tyler Show has sky-high expectations at the quarterback position. And remember how I said I suck at pronouncing names? Is it Tyler Show, Tyler Show? I don't know. If I mispronounce your favorite player's name, don't hold it against me. Tyler Show has a sky-high expectations at the quarterback position. They have a very good running back duo in terms of Thompson and Brooks. It's amongst the conference's best overall in terms of running game. But their defense is amongst the worst in the Big 12. That's going to be the biggest issue here because this is, I mean, this is the Big 12 conference. They're going to be trying to put up as much points as they can in order for their defense to not have to do much. This is going to be a, a, a gun show, fire fest, and just try to get as much points as you can more than the opponent and try and run up the score. Um, but they have one of the best quarterbacks in the, in the conference. Their running game solid. I just don't know if they have the wide receiver depth nor the defense to be able to be very competitive. That's why I have them going 3-9. and nine. Also, They also have some tough out-of-conference games on their schedule. At number eight, I have TCU at four and eight. Now, TCU, in terms of the country, is one of the last teams to make coaching changes. They always hold out to the very last second. And where I'm going with that is Gary Patterson. Finally, his era is over as the coach of the Horn Frogs. And now SMU's Sonny Dykes is in line to run the Horn Frogs in 2022. And he's inheriting an ongoing QB battle between Max Duggan and Chandler Morris. And they do have some weapons there, running back and receiver. But similar to Texas Tech, their defense is real bad. And especially against the run, TCU is going to be able to run on, be run on quite easily. Um, that's going to be a real problem against teams like Texas, especially with Bijan Robinson. But I, just, I see there being a lot of question marks there with that offense. New coaching era coming in. And their defense is just really not very competitive. So I see TCU at 4-8 near the bottom of the conference. Now I would say we'll put a little gap. Even though I also have West Virginia at 4-8 at the 7th best team. They do have the potential to really turn some heads this year, and it's, it's just really the question is, is JT Daniels a secret sauce? Now, JT Daniels has had quite an illustrious collegiate career on paper in terms of, like, if you put a resume of him, like, applying to schools or applying to jobs, he has great colleges on his resume. He started at USC, and then he transferred to Georgia, and now he's going to West Virginia. So, I mean, USC and Georgia, hey, great programs, but it just didn't work out there for JT Daniels. And West Virginia overall is 17 and 18 over the last three years, which is just, that's just not the West Virginia we know and love. And that's, that's in, that's in big, or no, sorry, 17 and 18 overall last three years, 11 and 15 in big 12 play since 2019. West Virginia desperately needs some life. JT Daniels might be the key to inject that life into them. Their defense is actually really quite strong, but both the passing and running games just need to be completely revamped. So contrary to TCU and Texas Tech, West Virginia actually has a strong defense, but their offense needs to just be totally kind of burnt down and rebuilt um they're going to start off with a tough test in the backyard brawl against pittsburgh on that opening thursday night so right away they're going to be tested i think that's going to be a loss and i think from there it's just going to kind of spiral as not the best season that's why i'm going four and eight but don't worry morgantown west virginia i will mention that i do think jt daniels could be a secret sauce and i definitely think he could turn some heads and definitely blow my expectations out of the water and become bull eligible and be competitive in the big 12 now there's a big gap though because the rest of the team's we have two more gaps here, or we have two more buckets we're going to do here. The next two teams are going to be the dark horses. And then I really think it's a four pony race for the winner of the big 12 this season. And the first of the two dark horses is the Iowa state cyclones last season, entering the season, which you might forget if you don't remember going into last year, but they were preseason top 10 ranked. Like they had very high expectations last year that they did not live up to. They just barely had a winning record and they made it to the cheese at bowl where they lost to Clemson, but Iowa state will still give dark horse status. Only eight starters are returning for Matt Campbell, and they lost really all their offensive production in terms of Brock Purdy and Brees Hall are now off to the NFL. Um, 
Hunter Deckers is primed to be the starting quarterback for Iowa State. But ultimately, there's just so many questions offensively. I do think Matt Campbell is a great coach. He's going to get them whipped into shape. I have confidence in their defense this year. And they have some people coming in to replace Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, but those are real tough shoes to fill. But just based on the pro, the, the stature of their program right now and how, how they've been trending under Matt Campbell, I still think they are capable of putting together a strong team. I mean, they beat Oklahoma State last year. Or was that Oklahoma State that they won? Be against, let me fact check that. I wish I had a Jamie, like the JRE or something. But Iowa State, Oklahoma State, that had to be right. That had to be the upset. Iowa State, Oklahoma State football, 2021. Bear with me. I wish I had someone. Yeah, Iowa State won on home turf. I remember that vividly. Um, clearly not because I just had to look it up. But Iowa State, they have the potential to be hang with the best of the Big 12, but they're going to have to really replace Brees Hall. Brock Purdy is too, but Brees Hall more to at more extent Brees Hall just because he's such an elite running back in college. I think he's going to be great for the Jets. Um, so a lot of questions on offense, but I think Iowa State – should be solid this season. They'll be seven and five, and I think they might be able to pull off an upset like they did against Oklahoma State against one team that's in the top four. But before we get to the top four, number five at Kansas State at eight and four, they're my favorite sleeper, not only in the Big Twelve, but in terms of the entire nation. They have the best chance outside of the top four teams in the Big Twelve at winning or pushing for a Big Twelve championship. Deuce Vaughn is one of the nation's best running backs. I might put him in the top three running backs. I put Deuce Vaughn, Travion Henderson, and Bijan Robinson in my pool of top three running backs in the nation. But Kansas State's passing game needs improvement. Deuce Vaughn will be a stud, but you can't just rely on him, especially in the Big 12 where you have to put up so many points against so many of these teams in order to win. And their, their passing game turns the ball over consistently all the time. So they really need less interceptions on offense. Their defense is stingy. They were last year, and I think they'll be just as good this season. And I just think ultimately it's going to boil down to their offense, offensive passing attack. When you have a running back as good as Deuce Vaughn, you just need a passing attack to be dangerous enough. You just need to be... 200 to 250 passing yards a game, a touchdown or two and no interceptions is enough. That's all you need when you have a running back like Deuce Vaughn. Just don't take as many risks on the passing game. Limit the turnovers, and you could easily find yourself in the Big 12 Championship, Kansas State. Big ups, Manhattan, Kansas. Fourth place team, I have the reigning defending Big 12 champions. Dave Aranda has just turned around Baylor so much. I've been going 10-2 and this season. He's just... I talked about him earlier like he was the previous Wisconsin defensive coordinator, then LSU defensive coordinator. But he just has Baylor's defense just so strong. It's just it, Dave Aranda's just got a gift. Anywhere he goes, he touches that defense and makes him strong, and Baylor is no exception. Blake Shapin has taken the starting quarterback job away from Gary Bohan last season, um, so he'll continue to be the starter this year. They lost Tyquan Thornton to the NFL, but they should still have plenty of weapons on offense overall to replace him and still have quite a bit of offensive production for Shapin to be able to throw the ball around to. Um, overall, I just think there's going to be a very efficient team. They're going to be a very sound and solid team, a disciplined team. Um, but their defense has a lot of holes to fill, which is Dave Aranda's specialty. But still, they have a lot of holes to fill. So early in the season, expect some experimentation, which is going to be tough for them because early in the season, let me look this up quick, just to fact check before I start spewing some nonsense. Yeah, so they play BYU the second week of the season, and then the fourth week of the season, they play Iowa State. So those are two tests early. So Dave Aranda's going to have to fill those holes in defense quick. Third place, I have Oklahoma. Now, this is just a team of massive change this season. They have, I mean, where, where do we want to be in? Oklahoma is on the right track because I think they're future-proofing themselves for the SEC. It's not The move's not going to happen for two more years still, but they're on the right track here because Caleb Williams is out. Spencer Rattler is out. They have both transferred to USC, one University of Southern California, the other University of Southern Carolina. Dylan Gabriel is in as a starter for Oklahoma, and he's one of the most quiet starters they've had in years in terms of Spencer Rattler came in with all the TV hype from 
before he was even in college. Caleb Williams kind of balled out and took the spotlight away from him. Before that, you had Jalen Hurts transferring over from Alabama. Before that, you had Kyler Murray, who was replacing Baker Mayfield. So you've had just loud, talented, Heisman-contending quarterbacks at Oklahoma for the past decade. And Dylan Gabriel's coming in. Not many people are talking about him, but I think I still think he could have Heisman buzz for sure. Brett Venables is in. He was Clemson's defensive coordinator, arguably the best defense coordinator in the entire nation uh, last season. And now he's coming in as a coach as Lincoln Riley has opted to leave for USC and coach the Trojans. Um, so the defense should be buffed. Um, it's not going to all happen in one year, but the defense, I think, will be more of a priority in camp this season with Brett Venables. And as I mentioned, I just think they're going to be future-proofing for the SEC here. And I think this year might be a little bit of an experimentation. Their, their offensive identity is probably going to look different than it did under Riley. Um, but their offense, I just don't think it's going to be as exciting as it has been in those past 10 years where they've always had Heisman-led teams. I think Dylan Gabriel, as I mentioned, could be very strong. I have very high hopes for him, but it's just simply not going to be as strong of an offense they've had under Lincoln Riley. But I'm excited to see how their defense shores up because I think that could be a differentiator and put them in the ranks of the Baylors and Oklahoma States that are bringing strong defenses to a conference that tends to kind of neglect defenses. Um, but number two, I have Oklahoma State, so the Bedlam rival of Oklahoma. I have them going 10-2. and two. After an incredible defensive showing in 2021, which as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, they have lost their defensive coordinator to go join the Ohio State Buckeyes. They did lose a lot of starters as well on that defense. And I think Spencer Sanders is a lot like DJ Ugalele in terms of he has elite potential, but he just struggles with the turnovers. So if he can limit the turnovers, I think Spencer Sanders could turn some heads and be potentially a Heisman contender. I mean, hey, if he gets Oklahoma State in a position for a college football playoff, he's definitely going to be getting some Heisman buzz. But they definitely have the most pieces to replenish in terms of teams in the top four. Uh, at least they have their quarterback coming back, but that defense, which was the strong point of the Cowboys last year, has a lot, a lot, a lot to replenish, even more so than Baylor. So that's going to kind of hold them back. But if you've been keeping track at home, you know there's one team left here, and I have Texas. Yes, Texas. Don't even look at the post in the back. I'm not biased. Maybe I am. But I'm all in on Texas this year. I've been going 10-2. and two. What a weird 2021 year it was. And as a fan of Texas, it literally felt like they tanked, which makes no sense in college football. You're not getting draft picks or anything. And if anything, it's going to hurt recruits if you start tanking. But it just seemed like they lost a couple games and they just gave up all competitiveness. Like they were very competitive against Oklahoma. They lost at the very end after they were up by a bajillion points. And then after that, it just all went downhill from there. I think Quinn Ears is going to be an upgrade. He's transferring over from Ohio State. He's going to be up upgraded quarterback over Casey, the Casey Thompson, Hudson Card hybrid play they had last year. Just in terms of, I think, committing to Quinn Ears at the beginning and giving him full reign for the season. I just always am a fan of picking a starter and letting and just riding with them for a while rather than having the constant threat of flip-flopping between two quarterbacks, which is what they did with Thompson and Card last year. So I think just having one guy will be very good for them this year. Um, their line play on both offense and defense is going to be the biggest question mark for this season. They need to win the trenches, which they just haven't been able to do. And they really need to generate more takeaways, which some more pressure from the trenches could help with. But their defense... Their passing passing attack just needs to be able to generate more takeaways and get the ball back on offense, allow B. John Robinson to chew up the clock. Because I do think B. John Robinson is the best running back in the nation this year. Um, I do have high hopes for Quinn Ewers. They have a very, very deep receiver room. So offensively, they have all the talent in the world to do what they need to do. Defensively is where they're really going to need to start working on getting more pressure, generating takeaways. And it'll be really, really interesting to see how Steve Sarkeesian does and bounces back after a very disappointing end to his 2021 first-year campaign. And they'll be tested right away. They're going to be playing uh, Alabama Week 2. College game day will likely be there. Sarkeesian's going to be facing his old coach, Nick Saban. And the game will be in Austin, Texas. Game's been sold out ever since it was put on sale, like minutes afterwards. Should be electric. But Texas, who I have going um, as a one seed in the 
Big 12 championship. And I have my Big 12 conference title as the as Texas Longhorns versus Oklahoma State. And I have Texas winning. Like I said, I'm all in on Texas this year. If Texas is going to be back. I don't know what else they need other than what they have this season. Maybe Arch, Arch Manning might be might be the, the missing piece, but I, I doubt that. I think Quinn Ayers is going to be more than enough. So Texas versus Oklahoma State with Texas winning the Big 12 title. Um, Dark Horses, Baylor, obviously, they're the, the defending champion. They're the best coached team in the Big 12, so I think they're clearly a dark horse as well. Oklahoma, obviously, as well. Just I mean, they've been so strong in the Big 12 for the past decade or more. Um, they, they just have too many unknowns for me right now with Brett Benables and Dylan Gabriel for me to put them in my top two. And then Kansas State, I think, could definitely turn some heads. Iowa State, too, to a lesser extent, but Kansas State could definitely push for that Big 12 title. Um, they're going to really surprise people, and the whole nation will know Deuce Vaughn's name after this year. And then lastly, West Virginia, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think they're the biggest potential to massively exceed expectations. I have them at 4-8, and eight, but I could easily see JT Daniels providing a massive spark for that offense and then being a real competitive this year. So those are kind of my dark horses are, but Texas is back, baby. Before we move on to the Pac-12, we're going to talk about run your pool, and you're going to want to listen up to join my backseat coach official pool. So sit through this quick ad read, but do you think you're better than your friends at picking the winners every NFL Sunday? With pick'em pools, fantasy pools, survival pools, squares, and more, Run Your Pool is the premier place to run your online sports pool to see who is the best in your friend group, family, or best in the office at picking the winners right each week. Right now, I'm hosting an NFL and college football pick'em pool as well as an NFL survivor pool on Run Your Pool, which are all 100% free to join, and the winner of each pool will receive a custom jersey of their choice. If you're watching this on YouTube, go to the links in the description to join. And if you're on audio only, visit Backseat Coach on TikTok or Instagram to find links to join for a chance to win one of three jerseys on my free to join Run Your Pool Pick'em and Survivor Pools. I look forward to competing with you all. That's Run Your Pool once again. Come join my pool, compete for the jerseys, and see if you can beat me at these predictions. If you think all my predictions are whack, this should be not your sign to go and comment in the, in the comments, although I would love that for the engagement, but that should be your sign to sign up for the pick and pool because maybe this wacko talking with a mic has no clue what he's talking about, and you're just going to beat me, and you're going to take a jersey out of my hands. So run your pool, go join, but it's time to jump into the Pac-12. The Pac-12, in the second to last year, the penultimate year of the Pac-12 as we know it, before UCLA and USC make the departure, and likely Oregon and Utah might be on their way out as well. Teams coming in. Pac-12 is going to be real shaken up. But in 12th place, I have Arizona at 1-11. Now, a lot of people actually have Arizona higher, and you can say I'm biased because I like Texas, I like Penn State, and I like Wisconsin. I'm expecting big, big seasons out of all of them. But this is where the anti-bias comes in because I have a graduate degree from Arizona Wildcats, Bear Down, big Arizona Wildcats fan for basketball and football. But I'm, I'm not buying it this year. They have a top 25 recruiting class, which is impressive that they're able to start building for the future like that but I'm just not sold on it yet. I don't think all, they can go from one of the worst teams in the entire nation, not in the Power Five, not in the Power Five Group of Five, but just all of just all that PS. They were one of the worst teams in the country at any level last year. And I just don't think one top 25 recruiting class of a bunch of freshmen coming in is just going to change that and make them ultimately competitive again. I'm just not seeing it. I still think they could be at the bottom of the conference. I'm going 1-11 and 11 this year. In 11th place, just barely above Arizona, but again, it's going to be real abysmal this year. It's going to be Colorado. I mean, they lost maybe their best offensive piece, which was Jarek Broussard, who's now finding himself as a running back for Michigan State. They're returning quarterback Brennan Lewis, but only four starters are returning on defense, which, hey, maybe that's a good thing because maybe they have to burn it down and restart with that defense. But 
they lost a lot and they didn't have much to start with and they have a really challenging out-of-conference schedule with TCU, Minnesota, and Air Force to start the season. I think those are all very likely going to be losses, not just because Colorado's bad in my mind, but those are just tough games. TCU's, I mean, I mentioned I have doubts about TCU, but that's still going to be a tough fight for a team like Colorado. Minnesota clearly outclasses Colorado, and Air Force is a system that you have to scrap everything you've been pre- preparing for all year and learn an entirely new offensive system in order to defend against them. So I just think their schedule's brutal. They lost their best piece in their running back, in my opinion, Jarek Broussard. And their defense just has nobody returning. So they're going to have a lot of new things to try out this year. But I've been going 2-10, second to last in the Pac-12. Um, in 10th place of Washington State at 3-9. and nine. Um, Man, I love Wazoo, but I just don't see it this year. Jake Dickert's getting his first full season as head coach as he kind of came in in the middle of some turmoil last year. Cameron Ward was a standout FCS quarterback, and he's transferring in, but his offensive line is going to be a major liability for him, and FBS is just a whole different speed than FCS, so it's going to take some adapting too. Defensively, they're definitely able to sack the quarterback and put pressure on, but their back seven are very challenged. I think that won't change this year. They're going to be able to be thrown on pretty easily, which is going to be tough against teams like Bo Nix in Oregon, Cameron Rising in Utah, and Caleb Williams in USC. Um, I just see them being as the lesser team in in Washington this year. I haven't gone 3-9 and nine and not, not winning the Apple Cup. Uh, and then at four and eight, next up we have Stanford. And man, it just feel like yesterday, at least for me, that Stanford was one of the most competitive teams in Pac-12. When you know they had Andrew Luck, and then after that they had Christian McCaffrey, and they were always competitive. But they've been eleven and nineteen in the past three seasons. But QB Tanner McKee looks to continue to improve, and he has a real strong receiving core to support him offensively. Their offensive line is returning all five starters, so offensively there's a lot to be excited about. And on top of that, their defensive secondary is very strong, but their front seven on defense is real tough. Like, they can get run on real easily. They really do not generate much pressure on the quarterback. But the defensive secondary is able to stop the pass. They're pretty efficient against the pass. They need to generate some more turnovers, ideally. But offensively, they're returning a lot of experience that they should be able to keep building on. So I think Stanford might be able to start trending upwards this season. We'll have to see. But I've been going 4-8 and eight and being ninth in the Pac-12. Another elite academic school in Northern California that's just real close to Stanford is Cal, Cal Berkeley. I have them going 4-8 as well. Um, the defense is and kind of always has been the crown jewel of the Cal Golden Bears. Offensively, Purdue transfer Jack Plummer is going to be the favorite to start at quarterback. Damian Moore returns to start at running back. Um, but there's really just a lot of other holes that are going to need to be filled. They need some they need some people for Plummer to throw to. Their defense has a lot of holes that need to be filled. Not many returning starters on the defensive side of the ball, even though that is their strong suit of their of their team. So we'll see if they're able to put together a strong defense this year. I don't see them being very competitive in the Pac-12. We'll move on from them. I've been going four and eight. Um, next up, I have Oregon State at seventh place in the Pac-12. I have them going five and seven. QB Chance Nolan is going to be returning this year, along with three offensive line starters. And, and you kind of notice a trend when I talk about teams. I love seeing returning offensive starters in college because I think that's maybe the biggest position in terms of transitioning from high school to college that it's just such a big gap you have to grow so much size learn so much technique and you're going up against such goliaths on the defensive line that maybe you saw one time per season in high school a big defensive lineman that that college level that you'd have to go up against so that's why i like to see returning starters on offensive line because i just think it's such a big gap from high school to college but the returning three and Overall, Oregon State has one of the best offensive line units in America. They consistently have a great O-line units, and I think that will be no different this year. The three returning starters will get the two new pieces to plug and play as well. But they lack big playability on both offense and defense. They aren't able to pull, pull away too many takeaways, and they're not able to get generate many big plays on offense. 
and they're really just unable to put any pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So not being able to pressure quarterbacks plus having a secondary that allows big plays is an absolute losing formula. And Chance Nolan, while he's returning, that's some offensive line starters returning, they're going to need to be able to push the ball down the field a bit more, especially in some of these teams in the, big, in the Pac-12 that are going to look to score a lot of points this season. But now we're getting to the top half, and there's a huge, huge, huge jump here between Oregon State at 7 and Washington at 6. I've watched going 8-4 this year. New coach Kalen DeBoer is coming off their worst season since 2008, so Washington is going to have a lot, a lot of expectations for their new coach to come in and get them back on track. And another thing to be very excited about is they have Indiana's Michael Penix Jr., who's transferring over from Indiana, and he's looking like he's going to be the starting quarterback. But the issue is he's struggled with a lot of injury problems, so he's got to stay healthy. But when Indiana was firing on all cylinders just a few couple years ago, it was all on Michael Penix, Michael Penix Jr.'s shoulders. So if he can stay healthy, Washington has a lot to be excited about this season. But the rushing game is pretty weak, which is going to put a ton of pressure on Penix's shoulders, who already is injury-prone. So that could be definitely a worry. But their defensive play is very solid. They were very solid last year, and I think they're going to look to repeat that success this season. But I think the biggest thing for Washington to be able to push them from that sixth-ranked team in the Pac-12 at 8-4 and four, to be able to try to be competitive for a Pac-12 title is going to be to develop a running game to be able to complement Michael Penix Jr.'s passing game. Because when you have such an injury-prone quarterback, you don't want everything to be on his shoulders because, A, he's going to be dropping back, throwing the ball more, which could put him under more potential risk and pressure. But, B, if he does get injured, your whole offense blows up seasons over. So that's why you need a running game in Washington for the Huskies to balance out their offensive attack. Fifth place is a, this is a head-scratching team, similar to Wake Forest for different reasons, but Wake Forest was hard to predict in the ACC because they just have so many unknowns right now. Arizona State's kind of in the same boat for the Pac-12. They're a hard team to predict because they lost several key transfers. They had major, major staff changes as, as a result of the NCAA investigation that is still ongoing, so that's going to still be looming over their head in Tempe. Um, but I, I really like Florida quarterback Emory Jones who's coming over. I think he's going to provide a much-needed spark of life into that offense. And really, ultimately, for Arizona State, I like their, when they're firing at all cylinders, I really like what I see from them out of the Sun Devils. But they have a new coaching staff. They have a lot of transfers that left, and that NCAA investigation is definitely a looming cloud over their program. But I still expect to see an 8-4 season. I think if they can get all the pieces right, Emory Jones can come into his own. I think we'll have a great offensive season. And their defense will be able to be competent enough to win win eight games. But then we're going to take a big gap. Even though I have the same record here for UCLA at 8-4, I think there's a gap between Arizona State and Washington at 8-4, between them and UCLA and then USC, Oregon, Utah, who are the rest of the teams. But UCLA have gone 8-4. And, and Chip Kelly, he, he was obviously great at Oregon, developed Marcus Mariota, developed a very very futuristic style of offense that was built on no rest, fast place, fast pace of play, getting as many snaps per minute as possible. He brought that to the NFL. It just didn't work out. Some people kind of all forgot that Chip Kelly was a strong coach, especially at the collegiate level. And I think UCLA has just been a program that just has not had enough name recognition over the past few years. I mean, they've had quarterbacks go to the NFL with Josh Rosen, but they performed a lot better last season than a lot of people remember going into the season. They went eight and four. They beat LSU, they beat Washington, they beat USC. And I just think UCLA was a way better team than people gave them credit for last year. So people are, I think they're really flying under the radar, the Bruins are this season coming into the year. QB Dorian Thompson-Robinson is really going to look to continue to improve after after a solid 2021 campaign. The defense last year allowed under 30 points per game for the first time in five years for UCLA. So it doesn't sound that great under 30 points per game, but hey, first time in five years, so bravo to them. However... UCLA has Oregon, Utah, and USC on their schedule, which is going to be tough. Uh, obviously, tough sledding. That's likely going to be three losses for UCLA this season right there alone. 
But I've been going eight and four. I really think Chip Kelly is building something solid in UCLA. It'll be really interesting to see how long they keep him if if Chip Kelly will ride with them to the Big Ten. But I think they're just an underrated team. The Pac-12 as a whole, the Bruins are. And speaking of LA, we're going to talk about the team from Pasadena, California, the USC Trojans, who have at third place at eleven and one. Yes, it's crazy to say someone's going to finish third in their conference at eleven and one. But there's so much to be excited about here. They have Lincoln Riley coming in from Oklahoma, new head coach. They have Caleb Williams joining him, who was an electric quarterback for Oklahoma last year. They have Jordan Davidson, Jordan Addison, which I talked about earlier when we were talking about Pitt, one of the best wide receivers in the entire nation, transferring over from Pittsburgh. Um, their defense should improve. That's not saying much because their defense was absolutely abysmal last year, and it's not like everything's going to be fixed in one season, but their defense should improve last season with some returning starters and some firepower recruits coming in. But their offense should just be able to put up so many more points this season that it shouldn't matter as much for their defense. There's not going to be as much pressure on the defense this year because I think their offense is going to be so multidimensional. Caleb Williams is going to have such a great year. There's so much talent around them that I think it'll put a lot of pressure off the defense, allow them to be a little more risky maybe to, to – not have to worry so much about holding holding such a low score because their offense is going to be able to make up for it. I have a lot of faith in Lincoln Riley. I'm really not a fan of Oklahoma, so I hated root. Well, didn't hate root for him when he was in Oklahoma. I didn't root for him when he was in Oklahoma. But I hope for him the best in USC. Uh, I, I was a USC fan as a kid. Caleb Williams electric to watch Jordan Addison. I, I wish he stayed at Pitt, but oh well. I, I think USC's offense is going to be one of the funnest to watch in the nation this year. But I don't have them in that Pac-12 title game because at number two I have Oregon at 11-1. and one. Dan Lanning is the new coach, and he's coming into the best situation for any new coach this season. There's so many new coaches across the country, but none are in a better situation than Dan Lanning, who brings back 14 starters. There are 14 returning starters to Oregon on the offensive and defensive side of the ball combined. They miss USC on their schedule. They get Utah and UCLA at home. They return all five offensive line starters. They have a super great freshman quarterback coming in, Ty Thompson, who's likely going to be the backup to Bo Nix, but still they have a Auburn transfer and Bo Nix coming over quarterback. They also have a very strong freshman quarterback in Ty Thompson. Um, their defense is going to miss Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously. The pressure abilities he was able to generate are unmatched, and it's going to be a huge gap to fill. But ultimately, Oregon's roster from top to bottom is something that you should be more than excited about. They're definitely going to be a strong contender for the Pac-12, maybe even college football playoff aspirations. Obviously, Dan Lanning's been there and done that. They open up week one against Georgia. That is the only loss I have for the season against them is week one. But after that, I've been winning 11 straight wins. So Oregon has a lot to be excited about this year. Um, really no negatives that I can see. But number one I have is Utah. I have them going 11-1 and one as well. That one loss is to Oregon in the regular season. But Utah has been a strong team for years in the Pac-12, and they just haven't really gotten that national recognition, I feel like, until last season when they really started to turn heads. Um, by embarrassing Oregon twice, frankly, in the regular season and the Pac-12 title game. Uh, Cameron Rising, I really like him as a Heisman dark horse. I think if Utah puts himself in position to win the Pac-12 and be a college football playoff contender, which that is the end goal for Utah's season. They won the Pac-12. They beat Oregon twice. The only way up there now is to be a college football playoff team. So that is their aspirations, and that's their absolute goal this year. And if Cameron Rising gets him there, I think he's absolutely a Heisman dark horse. They have two very strong tight ends. They're returning five members of the defensive back core. And, uh, or sorry, they're returning five members of their defensive back seven. And ultimately, I think their defense is going to have a lot of returning experience. Camera rising is going to be elite. I really like their overall skill positions on offense. However, they do have a hard schedule in terms of they have road wins to, to Florida to start off the year, which I think is very winnable. I think Utah is a better team than Florida, but going to SEC country to start off the season in Gainesville, Florida is going to be tough to say the least. Uh, however, they do get USC at home, which will help. But I do, like I said, have them losing to Oregon in the regular season, which gets me to the Pac-12 championship game, 
which I have Utah versus Oregon, rematch of the regular season game, rematch of last year's Pac-12 title game, and I have Utah winning in the Pac-12 title game. So I have them losing the regular season to Oregon. I have them getting the last lap though and winning the Pac-12 title game. The only dark horse I see is USC. I think their defense still has way too many liabilities and issues and concerns to be able to really consider them a Pac-12 title contender. But with the amount of talent on offense with Jordan Addison, with Caleb Williams, and with Lincoln Riley as a coach coming in with so much winning experience, you have to consider him a dark horse. You'd be a fool to not say USC is at least a dark horse. Okay, so we have gotten through every conference except the SEC, and I will just level with you. I took on a lot of notes for each of those conferences I just talked about, even if it didn't sound like I knew what I was talking about. I tried to take as much notes as possible. I researched a ton. SEC, I didn't research much. I think they're the most cut-and-dry conference. There's 14 teams. We're going to crank through them. Let's bring this thing home. 14 plays have Vanderbilt. No discussion needed there. They're going 1-11. They're going to be one of the worst Power 5 teams in the nation. Um, you're a baseball school, Vanderbilt. Don't don't hang your heads. 13 plays have Missouri. I've been going 4-8, and eight, so obviously a sizable gap up from Vanderbilt. I think there's a lot to be excited about in Columbia, Missouri, but they're, they're not at that level yet. They're in the SEC. They know they're in the SEC. They knew it was going to be tough sledding ever since they joined, and that's going to continue this year. Uh, they're just not ready yet to be a competitive SEC team. Then I'd say there's a pretty big gap for the final 12 teams because at number 12, I have Mississippi State. Um, obviously, I've loved them ever since Mike Leach has come over there. I think he's just he's just an absolute character. I think it's going to be really fun to watch them this season. Um, let me pull up this one thing quick. Who is it? Will Rogers. Yes, okay, sorry. Quarterback Will Rogers, I think, is poised for a great year. They have the talent around him at wide receiver to be able to let him throw the ball around. and He is a... Very, very dark horse for Heisman, but he is getting like Heisman buzz at the plus 8,000 range, which sounds like a, a lofty bet. But in terms of people's odds, he's, he's above people like Kendall Milton, Stenton Bennett, uh, Sean Clifford, um, Brennan Armstrong, Jordan Addison. So he, he's got decent ish odds. So it should be a fun offense to watch for sure. At number 11, I have LSU at six and six. Now they also have Jaden Daniels, a quarterback who has Heisman hopes this season. They have a Clearly fallen from grace since their national championship win, but that's not really much of a surprise. They lost Joe Burrow. They lost Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, the, people just went to the NFL. They weren't able to replace them as, as strongly as they wanted to. Joe Brady left for the NFL to be the offensive coordinator for the, the Panthers, and he was really the architect behind that LSU team. Ed Orgeron is no longer the coach. So in just a few couple short years since that national title win, so much has changed in LSU. There's a lot to be excited about. A lot of people are hyped on Jaden Daniels. He has even better odds than Will Rogers for the Heisman this season. But I just don't see it all coming together. And just simply when I say these teams are 6-6, six and six, I'm not calling them bad, but you got to remember there's the SEC. They're going to be playing games against Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Kentucky, you name it. They have very tough schedules just inherently by being in the SEC. I love LSU. It pains me to put them that low, but I have them at 11 ultimately. Number 10 of South Carolina. Spencer Rattler, we'll see how he does. I never liked the guy, really. I was happy when Caleb Williams took over for him. But I am I guess I'm happy for him. He's found a new home. He's going to find a new beginning. We'll see how he does with Gamecocks. Um, if he's able to ball out, maybe they can push for a better than a 6-6, six and six, but I still have them at, at bowl eligibility overall by the end of the season. Um, number 9, I have Auburn at 6-6. Six and six. Now, they're going to be... Tank Bigsby through and through. Tank Bigsby is top five running back. I mentioned how B. John Robinson, Travion Henderson, Deuce Lanham are top three. Tank Bigsby's got to be in the top five. Um, electric running back is going to be great for Auburn this year. I think they're going to run the ball through him. Obviously, they lost Bo Nix to Oregon. I think that's a good loss for Auburn. I think Bo Nix is kind of holding them back, to be honest. You know Auburn's going to have a strong defensive line front that's going to be able to stop the run, generate pressure. Um, 
hopefully like Auburn's recipe this year, a successful recipe for them would be trying to control the clock, control the time of possession, run it with Tank Bigsby, have a devote defensive front, and then hopefully they can able they'll be able to grind out some wins, keep games close like they were able to in the Iron Bowl last season and send it to overtime against Alabama. But six and six is what I see for them. Yet another six and six team is my eighth place team in Florida. They have a lot of excitement between Anthony Richardson uh, at quarterback. He has a lot of Heisman buzz for him this season. Florida, I don't know. It's Florida and Florida State both have high expectations this year. I think Miami's the only team that warrants high expectations of all the Florida teams. But the Gator fans are excited this season. I don't see it happening. I, I think we're going to learn a lot in the very first week when they play Utah. They're able to win that game and beat Utah. Everything changes with Florida after that. My perception of them changes drastically. The nation's perception of them changes drastically. So week one, right away, we'll know Florida, what they're about this year. Um, then again, it's 6-6, six and six, which this, this is just a brutal prediction. I'm sorry because this is going to be a hot take, but I have Arkansas going 6-6 six and six this year. K.J. Jefferson is beloved by SEC country, especially those in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I think he will have a great season, but I just think Arkansas has such a tough schedule that they're just not going to be able to do much better than 6-6. Six and six. Um, they, they had such a great year last year, but before then they really just weren't that competitive in the SEC, and they're kind of similar to Jim Harbaugh in terms of they had that one good season last year, and all of a sudden everyone's heads have been turning. But similar to Florida, we're going to learn everything we need to know about Florida week one. or We're going to learn everything we need to know about Arkansas week one when they play Cincinnati. Cincinnati coming into town, Luke Fickle looking to pull off a massive upset in SEC country. I have Cincinnati winning that game. A lot of people have Arkansas winning that game. But we'll learn week one. If Arkansas loses that game, they're likely going to be headed towards a more 6-6 six and six season. If they win that game, that's a massive statement. Huge blow to Cincinnati. And then they'll have games against South Carolina and Missouri State that will have them start 3-0 before they have to face Texas A&M. But they do have Texas A&M on the schedule. And then also have them losing to BYU, which is another tough team. But again, this is not a conference game that they should be able to win. Then they just have some road games against Auburn. They have road games against Missouri, but I do have them beat Missouri on the road. Home games against LSU. I'll mince no words. They are for sure 100%. I'll put my life on it. They will be a bowl-eligible team. So 6-6 six and six is their floor for sure. But I'm just thinking they're going to – like I just think Cincinnati and BYU are going to be out of conference games. They're going to end up losing. Okay, so we're over halfway through the SEC. We are in the home stretch here. Thank you all for sticking with me with this. But next up we have at 9-3, and three, so a big jump from all the 6-6 six and six teams. We have Kentucky. Now Mark Stoops has just done wonders for that program, gotten them real competitive. Um, I think they're still very underrated in the SEC, but Kentucky is a very fun team to watch. I had a blast following him last season, and Will Levis used to be a Penn State Nittany Lion. Now he's over there. He had a great season last year. I think he's going to build on it this season. He has a little bit of Heisman buzz. I mean, that's just the nature of if you're the best player on an SEC team, you're going to have Heisman buzz because, like I said in my TikTok, in order to win the Heisman in today's, NF, or in today's college football, you have to be on a top 15 team. And who's always in the top 15? The best teams in the SEC. So if you're the best player on the best team, or best player on the top 15 team, you'll get Heisman buzz. So that's why these teams are getting Heisman buzzes like Will Levis. Um, but I think he's a great quarterback. I think Kentucky's defense is going to be very strong again this season. And I think all, all in all, they're just one of the most well-rounded teams in the SEC. They have a top 25 offense, top 25 defense. I think they're going to have a very competitive year. I'm excited to watch the Wildcats this season. Now we're into number five. Did I say number five for Kentucky? Kentucky is number six. Number five is Ole Miss. I've been going nine and three. Now, obviously, they lost Matt Corral to the draft. He's now in Carolina, which I actually think he just hurt his foot, so he's out for the season. So that sucks. He just seems to keep battling injuries. He has a he obviously hurt his ACL, and then now he's a Liz Frank injury. 
But replacing him is Jackson Dart, I believe, right? I wish, yep, okay. I didn't fact check that before I said it, but thankfully it was right. Jackson Dart, I think, will be just as good, if not better, than Matt Corral, honestly. I think he fits Ole Miss's scheme perfectly. Lane Kiffin is a great offensive mind. He always has been. I think he's going to have Jackson Dart primed and ready. And I really don't expect much drop in production, even though they lost Matt Corral. I think Jackson Dart is going to take over and be poised for a, a, another great season for the Ole Miss Rebel, Rebels. At number four, I have Tennessee. Hendon Hooker at quarterback here. I think he's going to have a great season as well. Again, and another Heisman hopeful. There's, the SEC is just has one of their most stacked seasons at quarterback from top to bottom this year. Even on the not-so-competitive teams, they have great quarterback play. But Hendon Hooker should have a great season. Tennessee is very, very excited. Knoxville, Tennessee is fired up this season. They have high, high, high expectations. And, hey, in a season like this with teams like this, going number four is pretty good because at number three, I have Texas A&M, who has – I mean, they always have buzz going into a season, but they have a lot of buzz this year because their recruiting class is just so damn good. And Texas A&M and that recruiting class has College Station absolutely fired up. I have them going 11-1 and one this year. Um, let's take a quick peek at their schedule, who I have them losing to here. Um, but Texas A&M... Let me see. Scrolling down. Texas A&M, okay. So they play Miami in an out-of-conference game in Week 3, but it's in College Station, which should be great for them. I've been losing to Alabama in week six. But other than that, they have a very favorable schedule. They don't have Georgia. Other than that Miami game, their out-of-conference schedule is fine. Um, Appalachian State's a strong team, but very winnable for Texas A&M. And, yeah, they, they ended up getting home games against uh, most of their teams that could potentially upset them. So they're home against Ole Miss. They're home against Florida. They're home against LSU. Home against Arkansas. Those, those are going to be massive, massive home games for Texas A&M that will help them get to an 11-1 season. But the top two is why it's so cut and dry. I think it's very obvious this year. It's between Alabama and Georgia. Number two this season, I have Georgia. I have Georgia going 12-0 because they miss Alabama in the regular season once again. But Georgia, I have going 12-0 undefeated. Um, I think there people are sleeping on these two Heisman contenders, named Kendall Milton at running back and Stetson Bennett at quarterback. But I have them at number two because I have them obviously losing to Alabama in the in the SEC championship. I just don't think Nick Saban is going to let, let Georgia get away with it after beating them in the national championship as handedly as they did. Georgia had such an incredible defense, maybe one of the best defenses in college football history last year that they're going to have to work to replenish and rebuild. But they are returning a lot of talent on offense. I think they're going to be a yet another undefeated team. And I think, once again, we're going to see two SEC teams in the in the college football playoff. But I have Alabama going number one overall. They Bryce Young won the Heisman last year. I don't even think he's the best player on his team. I think Will Anderson Jr. is absolutely incredible at the linebacker position. So they have a lot to be excited about there. They have Jameer Gibbs coming over from Georgia Tech to be the running back. Um, their offense is just littered with talent, as Alabama often would be. They also have Jace McClellan at running back, because their running back room is absolutely stacked. They have one of the best linebacker prospects we've seen in college football. Bryce Young coming off of Heisman is only going to improve Nick Saban, end of question, like Nick Saban, period, exclamation point, end of statement. I have Alabama winning the SEC this season again and have them go into the college football playoff once again. So as I mentioned, that's it. That's that's the title game right there. The only really dark horse I see is Texas A&M, just because they're recruits. But I just think the SEC is just a two-man show between Georgia and Alabama, and I don't think many people are going to disagree with that one. But there does it for all the five conferences. And before we wrap the show up, we'll just hear from Chalkboard real quick. Chalkboard is a social platform for sports communities where each community has its own board with different channels allowing me and anyone else who joins my community to chat and discuss in real-time sports news, scores, bets, and more. I do have my own Chalkboard backseat coach. Go join it. 
Chalkboard is the absolute best way to engage with your favorite sports creators in the community. It's 100% free to join. The Chalkboard app is super cool. It has a live scoreboard of games going on right now, right this second. So when you're chatting with your friends, you'll see score updates. It has sportsbook integration, which is an awesome feature. You can integrate all of your sports betting accounts so you can track all of your bets real time and see the trends and win-loss records and how many units you're up and down. But first and foremost, Chalkboard is the absolute best way to engage and discuss sports with peers. Chalkboard is free to download, free to join in the App Store. I hope to see you all join my community. If you're watching this on YouTube, go to links in my description to join. And if you're audio only, visit Baxi Coach on TikTok or Instagram to find the links to my to join in my bio. I know I often chime in all the time on Chalkboard and ask people for video ideas or Q&As for their opinions on things. I'll often go in there and say like, hey, who do you guys think will be rookie of the year in the NFL this season? And I'll make a video about that, talking about people's responses. Um, and I always love to get people's opinions and some breaking news and some crazy stuff happens in, in the sports world. So go join my board. I hope to talk to you there. Download Chalkboard and join Backseat Coaches community. Use the link in my bio, please. Okay, there does it. That was a whirlwind. We managed to keep it under 90 minutes. My voice is only semi-lost, but I felt like I did a decent job. Um, if you have any questions about teams or I said anything that you just think is totally preposterous, comment down below. I mean, I did just try to do my preview of... 60 65 teams so the probability of me maybe slipping up on a team or two is very high so comment down below if you think i missed anything or or neglected to talk about something or didn't consider something as strongly as i should have um but thursday episode we have a packed episode again and it's going to be electric i'll be revealing my full top 25 for the college football season my preseason top 25 rankings i will have my heisman predictions i'm going to give my top 10 heisman predictions from 10 to 1 to who i think is winning the heisman trophy this season I'll give my college football pre- playoff preview and who I think will be the national champion this year. I'm going to talk about my boldest takes this season. You can probably guess what some of them are going to be based on what I've talked about in this video. And then finally, a preview to the weekend slate ahead of college football games because on Saturday, college football is back. Thank you all for listening or watching. Reminder, this is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy, Chalkboard, and Run Your Pool. Please check out those sponsors. It helps me out a ton. But let me know in the comments down below what you thought about this. Provide me some feedback. This has been episode two of The Backseat Coach, and we will see you in two days with that packed college football episode because football is back, baby.